you are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. Well, we are starting a brand new series. If you are just kind of joining with us, I see some new faces. So um, some of you came the first time to Easter service and you're back with us today. And we're so grateful to have you here. We're starting a brand new series in the book of John. If you happen to bring your Bible, um, you can turn to us in the book of John. Also, if you want to download our Grace Capital Church app. By the way, I knew last week you, some of you struggled to get on our Wi-Fi. We did some work this week to try to get that up and going, so you should be able to get on Wi-Fi. But you can download our Grace Capital Church app just in your app store. Go to Grace Capital Church. And don't download our app. And in that app, you can find the Bible app, which will give you the ability to read the Bible through your phone as well. Well, um, to start off with the book of John, it's probably important to know um, when we call these books, they're actually writings from people, real people that were that encountered Jesus. The interesting thing is uh, when the Bible was canonized, which means this is kind of like this is complete. We're not going to add anything more to it. We're not going to delete from it. These were people that, especially the New Testament, that had real life encounters with Jesus. So the book of John was probably written by either John, the son of Zebedee or John, the elder. We don't know 100% for sure, but it's either one of those two people. But what we do know, and I think this is funny that John writes about himself in this way, he does say that he is the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> so it's like he thought he was special. In many ways, we all think we're special with Jesus, which we are. We are. But he names himself that way in two different places of John 13, 23 and John 20, verse 2. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, but we also know that there's a lot of similarities in this writing of the book of John to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is the books of the Bible right before the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, which also John himself wrote. And so it's interesting that we have this, this is the earliest account that we have from the, from the scrolls that were written and the, that they discovered these writings of Jesus's life. We're also told the purpose of this book was John himself told us what the purpose of the writings were in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Really, when anybody comes to Jesus for the first time, I always encourage them to read the book of John. So for the next several weeks, we are going to start weaving through this book of John. We won't be able to go through all of the little details of it, but we're going to talk about the themes. We're going to talk about what John has written about and, um, and how it applies to our life today, because the writings are not just ancient writings. They're living, they're active, and they will impact your life. And today you can come with anticipation to say, I'm going to receive something from this writing and it's going to change my life today. So the other thing that we talked about last week, if you're here for our Easter service, that after Jesus's resurrection, there were two men walking on this road to Emmaus. One of, one of his names was Cleopas, was uh, one of the guys. And they said that as they were walking, 
Jesus, who they didn't know was Jesus at the time, started talking about Jesus as it relates to him in the book of the books of Moses is what we're told. Now, we do understand today the books of Moses are the Pentateuch. We talked about that. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were written by Moses. So it is interesting that the, when John starts his writings as chapter one, he's actually recounting the knowledge that they now had about Jesus in those books of Genesis and Exodus. We're going to go through John chapter 1 through 18. I'm just going to read a little bit of that so you can get a synopsis, follow along with me. And we're going to realize that John is kind of like probably sat down in a room with those guys afterwards and saying, can I tell you, they're saying, can I tell you what Jesus was saying about him from the very beginning of the world? Because before Jesus showed up on the scene as a baby in a manger, Jesus preexisted. He already was there in creation, and we'll read about this now. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was in the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here we begin that John is talking about where Jesus, as the word of God, was a part of creation. Now, the interesting thing that when we start here, that, that John begins to talk about the divine word became human, the divine word of God becoming human. Now, the interesting thing about the word, spoken word, remember when in Genesis, and by the way, this is kind of quoting from Genesis, right? In the beginning was the word. Um, he's, he's, John is quoting it from Genesis. And he's saying that Jesus was the actual words of God. So why is that important? Because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That the very essence of who Jesus was when he walked on the earth is the very essence of God the Father. I think sometimes we mystify God so much that he's like this deity and this being out there that is in a cloud, which the Bible also says nobody's seen the Father, so we've seen God, which again, we, we then leaves our mind with this big imagination, but in the reality is we have seen him because we've seen Jesus. Now, we haven't physically seen Jesus, but we all we can read about Jesus, and we have experienced Jesus, and that's why I love when we were talking about the goodness of the Father, the goodness of Jesus, that he doesn't change. He is who he says he is, and actually, Jesus is the very words of God. Isn't it interesting? When we speak a word, isn't it so much a part of who we are, right? It comes out of our mind, which is our our intellect. By the way, your mind is where your soul is. Your mind, will, and emotions is your soul. So this is actually where your soul lives. A lot of people think your soul's down here somewhere. That's where your spirit resides, but your soul's up here. And your mind, will, and emotions. So as God spoke is the very nature of who he is, then got manifest into a person named Jesus. And this is what John is trying to articulate at first. 
I'm going to pick up in verse 9. Uh, by the way, when they start talking about, if you read this, uh, I've encouraged you to read ahead of time. When they start talking about another John here, this is actually John the Baptist they're talking about, the one who comes before Jesus to pave the way for him. So when they start talking, he's not talking about himself there, he's talking about John the Baptist. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to, to, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Anybody say amen to that? We're God's children. Those who come to Jesus, receive him, believe in him. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen this glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, we're beginning to get this picture of Jesus was in creation through God's spoken word. And then God's spoken word spoke such that then Jesus became man on earth for through the form of a baby, then grew up to show us the way of the kingdom of God and show us the way to salvation. The word became flesh. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Can you just say that word grace, please? Grace. We're going to actually talk about this after I kind of go through the, the essence of this kind of poem that um, John is writing about here, but we're going to land on this concept of grace for the rest of the message. The interesting thing that about this idea, though, of what, how Jesus came, it says he also came... To be, he dwelt among us, and actually he tabernacled. That word dwelt is actually another word, another translation. He tabernacled with us. And it's so interesting that as he starts with understanding Moses' writings in Genesis, that, that Jesus preexisted with God in creation, he then talks about um, this idea of Jesus being our tabernacle, so dwelling place, it was the very place that God dwelled. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33, we read about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent, and it was a place, the Ark of the Covenant, which held the, the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and it was placed there because and it was be, the, the presence of God was in that tabernacle. And people who would have to experience God would have to come into the tabernacle, do all their ceremonial stuff, and to, to experience God's presence. Now, the interesting thing, John is talking about, I know this is kind of heady, we're kind of getting there yet, like, how does this apply to me? We'll get there. So, <clears throat> you track with me, you feel like you're in a little history lesson right here, but we're, we'll be fine. We're almost there. So, so, when we get to the place of understanding that Jesus dwelt alongside, he tabernacled with us. He's, he's saying that through Jesus, we now can experience God's presence. All right, that relates to us. Because now those who have given your life to Jesus Christ realize that we have full access to our Father in heaven. We don't have to wait to go to a building, 
a temple, a tabernacle, or whatever, a sacred place, we can, the presence of God now dwells with us. And he's saying that, that Jesus himself became the dwelling place of God and through Jesus. So that's great news. So John's trying to be the bridge of the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant ways, but saying, pointing all the ways that Jesus was in the midst of all of those things, which I think is really fascinating. The other thing that John points out too is, is that there is one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't talk a lot about Holy Spirit in that first poem that he's writing, but we know he gets to there in a minute. But he's really talking about the, he's starting to unfold the case of the Trinity, which is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and again, where we see that this, this essence of their oneness, as I mentioned before in John 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's from John as well. All right, so I want to tackle this idea, though, of from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. You're going to see that up here. Uh, John 1, verse 16. Now, I first want you to understand the grace that you have received. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For it is grace that you have been saved, not by works, so no one can boast. Anybody remember that verse? Okay. So it's been grace that we have been saved. Now, this word grace can seem like, all right, is that, is that like when we say prayer before a meal, we say grace? Um, or is it mean, what does grace mean? Now, I think it's really important that we do understand what grace means because if we don't understand what that means, we, if we can't receive grace or understand how we receive grace, we can't give grace. So first of all, here's a scripture that helps us define grace. 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19, if you want to look at that later. But I'll read it to you. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling himself reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Okay, so a lot of big words there. Let me just tell you what this means. That when Jesus came to this earth, and then when he died on the cross, rose from the grave, that moment of going to the cross for us, he took the sin of the world upon himself. And from that point on, when anybody comes to Jesus Christ, he doesn't say, you need to get your act together first. Thank the Lord on that one. He says, come as you are. Let me start working on you. His grace is that I don't count your trespasses against you. I don't keep record of your wrong. He just says, I just want to love you. Would you come close and let me, in essence, pastor you along the way to help heal you, to help you find the life, the full life that you've been longing for? Come close to me and, and I, we'll do this together. And that grace is this, it's undeserved or unearned favor. That's the definition of grace, 
undeserved or unearned favor. You, you, you didn't do anything to deserve what he's done for you on the cross. The other thing, interesting thing about grace is, is that it does not cost the receiver, but it does cost the giver. This is a really important thing to understand what Jesus has done, because eventually we're going to be like getting to the place of, as you've received grace, you're going to give grace. If there's anything I want you to walk away with today is as you have received grace, you're going to walk out of here giving grace, which means you're going to give favor to people who don't really deserve it. Oh, that's so hard for us New Englanders. Tit for tat, right? Come on, I'm going to show them. The other thing, though, it does cost the giver of grace. And why? So let's look at Jesus. He gave it to us free, but what did it cost him? His very life, right? It was his very life. He was willing to do that while we were yet sinners while we're yet in our muck and mire of life, living for our own selfishness, feeding our own pleasures of ourself, Jesus was willing to give his life for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But what a cost. Now I get to just say, hey, I believe in you, Jesus. Was that a real cost on my part? No, it was just a decision to receive the grace that he has already given. He's already paid the price for that. Okay. I, it's really important that you get that concept because for you to give grace, it's not going to be easy. It's going to cost you something. So why is it that we can understand that Jesus doesn't hold our sin against us? And yet we're so quick to hold everybody else's mistakes against them. Ponder that for a moment, because you have a tally in your head of the people that have wronged you. But Jesus doesn't keep a tally. Jesus offers grace. Jesus is so quick to forgive. Jesus says, I don't count your wrongs against you. When somebody falls short, we're so quick to blame. We're so quick to hold them accountable. When we should be quick to offer grace. Undeserved Unearned favor. Remember uh, in scripture, maybe you don't remember this, but when there was a woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus has this. He says, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. Man, we have been forgiven so much, haven't we? And yet, our love stops short because we love to have people pay for their wrongdoing. <laughs> we love to hold things against them. We love to do a checklist. Uh, they did this. Uh, they did this. Uh, and therefore, then you created a case in your mind. 
And we're doing the very thing that Jesus has asked us not to do. He's asked us to offer grace. My, my question is, will we allow Christ to dwell richly in us, offering grace as Jesus has offered us grace? I know what you're already saying, you know, shouldn't people pay for their wrongdoing? And we have a justice system. If it's egregious, they'll pay. But I'm talking about those things that they looked at me strange. How come he didn't talk to me? I don't like the way that they gave me instruction on that. And we start creating a case against. One thing I'm really realizing, and somebody shared this with me probably a month ago. When you're dealing with difficult situations and difficult people and conflict, and, and you have to realize, this is what this person said to me, he goes, do you, do you realize there's always two sides of offense? You see, so much of the time we say this is the issue, the fence is the issue, and we're standing here and we're looking at the fence not realizing there's another side of the fence which could look very differently. And we look at the fence and we call it the way we see it and we get so entrenched in our thinking and our, our idea and, and the very other person who's trying to understand and look at the same fence is saying something completely different. How can that be? Because there's always two sides to a fence. And I wonder if grace helps us understand that there's two sides to a fence. That just because we have one perspective, are we right? Like we want to be so righteous. We want to be so indignant. We want to be able to call a spade a spade. And yet there are two sides to a fence. The other one says, you know, unless you've walked in their shoes, right? Unless you've walked in their shoes, how in the world would you absolutely know what's going on? Unless you've walked in their shoes. And I think this idea of grace that Jesus is asking us to say, Jesus who now dwells inside, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are here today, the spirit of God now dwells inside of you. The spirit of Jesus dwells inside of you. So what Jesus has done for you, you get to do for others. Now, if you are here and you don't know Jesus yet, that's okay. I love that you're here and I'll introduce you to Jesus at the end of the service. But for those of us who've already made a decision to follow Jesus, our primary responsibility is to love as Jesus has loved by giving grace the way Jesus gave grace not counting our sins against us. Undeserved, unmerited favor. Now remember, it costs the giver of grace. Because when you choose to say, I'm going to not hold that against you, oh, it costs you something because you want to hold a grudge. You want to make a case. You want to tally, right? Right? I think we do. I think we do. But for you to let that go and say, you know what? Grace means there's two sides to the front fence. I've never walked in their shoes. I don't really know what's going on in their life. But you know what? I'm going to love them the way they are. See, I wonder if grace is thinking the best of somebody. I wonder if grace is coming alongside when somebody is struggling and offering help.
I wonder if grace is picking somebody up when they fall. I wonder if grace is saying, you're not perfect and I don't expect you to be. I want to pause on that one. We want to marinate on that. We hold people to such a standard. And then, whether it's a kid holding their parent to a standard. Now, I'm not saying, hey, don't have standards. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I think we conjure up these standards in our minds, and then people let us down all the time. And we're wondering why. I wonder if it's because we have this expectation of people in such a way that what if we just started loving people for who they are? <laughs> oh, would that be freeing? Let Jesus do the work. You see, grace is trusting that Jesus is working in the situation and we're slow to criticize and quick to come to somebody's defense. What if that was the environment that we fought for and we lived for? While we were yet sinners, Jesus gave us grace by laying down his very life for us. Uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, this church is named Grace Capital Church. Now, uh, there's a story, uh, the worship team come at this time, there's a story that, that maybe says, I don't know what's true. I, uh, our founding pastor, Peter Bonanno, um, does share a little bit of this story, but I don't know if it's in joking afterwards, but I think we are in the capital region, but how is capital spelt? O-L, right? The capital, the, the capital of a city is O-L, not A-L, and this is named Grace Capital, A-L. So I think I love that. I think that was God's, God's plan, but I think we wanted to say we're in the capital region and we misspelled the name. <laughs> But I think the Lord knew what he was trying to tell us, that we're to capitalize on grace, A-L. We're to capitalize on grace. We're not an investment firm, we're not a capital firm, <laughs> but we're to capitalize on grace. I think sometimes we look at each other and we we think that we expect them to be like Jesus. Now as followers of Jesus, I, I hope we resemble him. But I but I think Christians hold each other to such a standard that we then don't become very nice to each other. Quick to judge. You know, there is another, um, there's another scripture that talks about in Matthew chapter 7. It says this, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? When you got a big old log in your own eye. <laughs> it's the section that Jesus talks about in there in Matthew chapter 7, talking about judging. And I think... The opposite of grace is judgment. We see we cast judgment on people. We we make judgments, we make assumptions, and I think that's the worst one is we make assumptions. We think that we know what the other person's thinking or what they're doing. But the reality is they're on the other side of the fence. You don't know. You haven't walked their shoes. You don't know. 
So what if we're very slow to judge? Be more concerned about the specks in our own eye and allow ourselves to become more like Jesus and then trust that Jesus is working in other people's lives. Wouldn't that be kind of a fun environment to be in? Just giving grace to each other. Giving grace to your coworker. Giving grace to your parents. Parents giving grace to your kids. That's another one. <laughs> Give grace to your kids. As we capitalize on grace and grace capital, I think what helps us along the way is we realize that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to digress for a second on that. Do you realize that is the exact sound that a turkey makes at mating season? I know, I have one in my backyard. <laughs> he followed me. Um, really back in. All right. Capitalize on grace. Capitalize on grace. And the way that we do it is that we put our hope in Jesus Christ. Don't put our hope in man. Men will let you down. Women will let you down. People will let you down. Doesn't mean you can't trust them, but realize that they're not Jesus. Your hope should firmly be in Jesus Christ. And when you trust him, and then you offer grace to everyone, it becomes a pretty amazing place. Trusting, let God be God, let Jesus be Jesus. And let us all turn our eyes to him, trying to faithfully serve him, trying to faithfully follow him as we offer each other a ton of grace at Grace Capital Church. Let's sing this song. And this is what John wanted to express as he was writing this book, these scriptures, that he's saying that Jesus who began beginning of time is a spoken word of God coming manifest into his presence but he still exists today with us and he wants to continue on this journey of setting people free from the bondages of their own selfishness of their own living their own way their own life and he wants to say, come, be a part of this family. He says he calls us sons and daughters. But it's only for those who believe in what Jesus has done. And this morning, I wonder if there's anybody here today that would just like to say, I have never made a decision to follow Jesus. And, and I want to start my journey today. If that's you, would you just kind of slip up your hand and just so I can see? Anybody? Usually on any given service, there's got to be somebody unless we're all filled with a place of believers. But every week there should be people. We should be inviting our friends who don't know Jesus. Is today your day? 
You know, I, I would ask that, you know, sometimes we close our eyes when we do it, other times we keep our eyes open, but, you know, Jesus paid the price for you. His cost of grace for you is amazing. He doesn't count your sins against you. When we come to him, he offers us free gift. One last time, if there's anybody here who wants to accept Jesus today, just raise your hand. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. Even for those today, Lord, that didn't have the courage to raise their hand, but in their heart of hearts, Lord Jesus, they said, God, I, I want to follow you. So, Lord, I just know that the Bible says if you, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that you'll be saved. So, Lord Jesus, right now, we just confess with our mouth that you are Lord. You're our Savior. We believe in our heart, Jesus, what you've done for us on the cross. You took care of all of our sin on the cross, our guilt, our shame. Jesus, you rose three days later from the grave, conquering death, showing us that you truly were the Son of God. Thank you for these people that you've given us in, in the Bible who have written firsthand accounts of the real story of what it is that you have done for humanity, that you've done for us. One of the greatest things that you did is you offered us grace. You saved us by grace. But Father, as we have been given so much, the cost was so great, let us extend grace to others. Let us not be so quick to judge. Let us not be so quick to point fingers. Let us not be so quick have to be quick to offer grace undeserved unmerited favor not holding people's mistakes against them Jesus we just pray that you would continue to help us to live capitalizing on grace help us realizing there's two sides of offense helping us realize that unless we're standing in somebody's shoes, we don't know the full story. So let us offer grace as you so freely offered grace to us. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If this ministry has impacted you and you would like to partner with Grace Capital Church to impact the communities around you, please join us at gccnh.com forward slash partners.